You're listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks, a biblical, practical, and spiritual conversation about living and leading worship. Let's lean into today's episode. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining Worshipology. I have a very special guest on the other end. Now, most of the time on the podcast, I've had friends that I've known for quite a while, or maybe, you know, we've led worship together or written some songs together. But it was about a week ago uh, that Seth Facebook messaged me and he just said, hey, been listening to the podcast, really enjoying it. And uh, I just kind of like checked some of your stuff out, Seth, online. And I was like, dude, we got to have you as a guest on the podcast, man. <laughs> and so uh, Seth Putnam out of Colorado Springs, welcome to the Worshipology Podcast, brother. Thanks, Curtis, for having me. I'm excited and terrified all in one moment. <laughs> oh, no way, man. And, and I got to say this just out the gate, man. I mean, you know, I was talking to Seth a little bit earlier on the phone, and it's kind of like I feel like a lot of these podcasts have been like built off of friendship, but I think this is the start of a new friendship, man. Awesome. And, uh, you know, the, I was actually just talking about this to our worship team uh, here in Richmond, Virginia last week. You know, we're talking about how so interesting it is that it doesn't matter like what church you go to or like, like if you've never stepped foot in a church, when you lead worship with another band of brothers and sisters, you're like family right away. Yeah. There's something, talk about that for a little bit, Seth, because I know you've you've been in some different churches and different environments and contexts. What is it about worship teams that just kind of like instantly bonds you and mm. it doesn't take long really to break through any walls? What is that? Yeah, I love that because there's so many layers there. I think for one thing, there's the family of God dynamic, which mm-hmm. we cannot overlook and we can't stress enough. And I think, I think where we get in trouble with a lot of our teams is when it becomes one culture, when it becomes one mm. generation. And um, I'm not against any just one type of culture for sure. But I, when I look at the scripture, when I look at Revelation and I see many tribes, many tongues worshiping mm-hmm. the Lamb, I'm like, man, there's something right there. There's a glimpse into what earth should be right now because that's that's heaven and we need to reflect that. So there's there's this like dynamic of that we see in scripture that that um we need to emulate about family. Mm. And then also mm. I think it's like the musician artistic side where musicians and artists we love to collaborate, we love to vibe off of each other. I, I have yeah. a pretty strong like jazz and gospel music background as well. And okay. That, and that's all about feel and that's all about like like interpreting what someone is playing and then playing a response. And so I think there's a dynamic of that that's really beautiful as well, uh, where a musician feels really comfortable with another musician and they've never met. <laughs> it's crazy. And I think, you know, honestly, like, you know, I was reading some of your your bio as a worship pastor now at New Life Church. And did I see that you went to Berkeley? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're not playing around on the music front. Like, Berkeley's no joke, man. I've known Berkeley grads, and uh, that's that's some hardcore music out of that school, man. So let me ask you this: so as a worship pastor, and you know, kind of coming out the gate here, we're talking about family, we're talking about collaboration mm-hmm. and connecting with other worshipers and other musicians and and singers. How do you foster that environment of family within the context of a worship team? Because that's something that I think we really need to. Uh, not just fight for, but be advocates for in this day and age where things are so divided and people can get so divided on any amount of topics as we see out there. How do you you fight for a culture of family within a church? 
Yeah, wow. Okay, so I think worship leaders and worship pastors, whichever you find yourself in the spectrum of that, I think we have to think like worship fathers and worship mothers. Mm. Fathers and mothers know how and should know how to handle conversations and should be able to bring grandma and grandpa and your children and even the grandchildren to the table. There's something Mm. special about mom and dad bringing everyone to the table and then giving space for everyone to share and to speak. So I think as worship leaders and worship pastors, we should be the ones that are facilitating those conversations and opening up. So one of the, um, and I don't know if we'll get to this in the podcast here, but one of the responsibilities that I have at New Life Church is one of my central roles is to be over the auditions and onboarding pathway that we have at the church. And okay. it's it's for like the bigger the bigger North congregation that's kind of like, uh, I call it mom and dad's house. It's like the mothership uh, <laughs> congregation. So now how uh, many, how many, um, I guess, how many campuses of New Life oh, yeah. are there right now? Yeah, I should start with that. So New Life Church is pastored by Pastor Brady Boyd. We are eight congregations meeting in six locations, speaking three different languages. Probably multiply that by 10 if we're praying in the Holy Spirit, because we're just going to be speaking a bunch of different languages. Nice. There you go. Let's go. That's my Pentecostal Holy Ghost side coming out. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Um, but but yeah, so part of my central responsibilities in, uh, in in all of the congregations, but mostly in in the north and the Friday night and a few other ones, is to be over the auditions and onboarding. And one of the one of the central things that I've tried to implement is make it more relational, make it more relational as people come in and and see auditions and onboarding as a path to discipleship. I mean, imagine, Curtis, what would it look like if we started That's discipling people really from the onset? And it mm. means it means investing more time into people. It means slowing down. It also means changing language. So we're using mm. more family language. We're using more relational language. Matter of fact, we don't call it a process. We call it a worship pathway. We take cues off mm. of Luke 24, I think it is, where Jesus met the two disciples on the road, and he walked with them in disillusionment. But at mm-hmm. the at the end of the walk, at the end of taking the the Lord's supper, so to speak, is kind of what they did. He blessed the bread. He blessed the bread, and then all of a sudden, their eyes opened up, and they realized it was mm. Jesus, and then he was gone. That whole pathway, that whole journey, was a journey into discovering Jesus, a journey into into coming out of disillusionment and coming into a family coming back mm-hmm. into a family. And so so auditions and onboarding is really as far as I'm I'm kind of overseeing it, we're really intentional about making sure we um, use family language. Our lexicon is more about that kind of stuff. You know, we've changed the way that we've said things and the way that we do things. Uh, wh- wh- one of the things, sorry Curtis, before you uh, I just want to say this, one of the things that we emphasize when we're going through this audition pathway is we tell people we're not a band, we're not a brand, but we're a bond. Wow. See, that's huge because in today's day and age, I feel like branding is so prevalent in our American worship culture for sure. But even like globally, it's almost kind of being tossed about like, man, like you've got to establish your brand, your feel, your, your vibe. And what's dangerous about that is that you start to elevate uh, the name of the church door 
over the mm. name above every name. You know, it's like yeah. one of these things where it's like, is this is this more about the church, capital C, or this church? And, mm. you know, talk about that in a practical way. Like, what does that look like to make auditions a discipleship pathway instead of just like a, you know, for yeah. lack of a better term, like cattle call, get in a bunch of musicians, get totally. in a bunch of singers. Let's see who's got the skills, who's got the goods, and find out ways to get them on the schedule. And then how do we make it not so much... I mean, I feel like so many uh, church ministries function off of systems. And look, I know systems are necessary on, on some level, but sure. how do we how do we keep worship out of that systematic process and more of a discipleship pathway? That's so good. Yeah. So this is what I've wrestled with with the past year and a half. I've been beta mm. testing a lot of this stuff. Really, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the people that come out of it and hearing their testimonies in their hearts. So maybe I could share a little bit of how I've designed the pathway. And um, by all means, it's not perfect and I'm still changing. The only thing that's constant is change. We're always going to be changing and adapting mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. So please don't take everything I say as like, that's what they're doing now. I mean, yes, but <laughs> it's going to change. So, um, so this is what we do. So when people are interested in wanting to audition, so they'll reach out you know, to a certain email, we'll respond as quickly as we can. And as a staff, we're trying to be trained in the sense of we don't let things linger. So we try to have prompt communication. So communication yeah. is really important. And um, when we connect with them, we try to make it personal. So we don't just try to send people a blank email, a blank phone call, but we tell them, hey, we would love to meet with you. We would love to shake your hand after service. We'd love to meet your family. So from mm. the onset, we're trying to make it as relational as we possibly can. Because, Curtis, you know this. Ministry is about people. People, it's a, always. It's not about filling PCO. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's about people. It's, it's, it's hearts. It's lives. Souls are at stake. And this is important mm. to me. This is what drives me, is people. And... Yeah, so we'll start it off really relational from the onset, and then we'll just you know ask them to fill out a questionnaire and just kind of get some basic information. Step two is where pretty much what a lot of people do in, in churches, which is turn in a video of some songs that we've asked you to come prepare. And, mm-hmm. and this is, uh, is kind of standard for most churches, but again, what we're trying to do through this pathway is clearly explain we want to walk alongside you. So whether it's myself or whether it's another worship staff member or whether it's a key worship volunteer, we have them walk alongside someone to help answer questions, to get to know them, to get to know their family. And we're not a big fan of having quick auditions and quick just jump on the stage. We really mm. do feel like if if it's worth investing, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And, it's, and a lot of times that means take your time with the individual Get to know them. Have them get to know your story. So after we do the whole video auditions, of course, we have language that communicates whether we feel you know people are hitting the mark or 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 whether um, yeah whether they're they're not there skill wise. And here's something that I had to learn um, as a young guy. I never liked to tell people that they weren't good enough or that the mm. standard was too low. I had to grow out of that, and I had to realize to tell the truth in love is the best thing for that person. There's a way that you can tell someone you're just not ready 
for yeah. the, the worship team. And that's okay. But here are the things that I would encourage you to work on. And if you work with a vocal coach or if you work with a, a, a keyboard instructor or a guitar instructor for at least six to nine months, if you work on these three to five concepts, then we would love for you to come and re-audition. And mm-hmm. we'll just push pause on the pathway. Now, notice I didn't say mm-hmm. we're going to stop. I'm always giving people an open invitation. It's really, mm-hmm. it's always open until it's clear that it has to be closed. There's only been a few times that I've, I've had to tell the person, we have actually got to push stop on this. We've actually got to close the door. Most mm. people understand when they feel loved, when, when they feel heard and understood, they feel loved. And when someone feels loved, then they'll be all in. That's all I can say about that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I feel like it's so important to kind of like, you know, I I love that you invite them back because I think feedback is so key and we're so afraid in this day and age of like, I feel like sometimes we're walking on eggshells because we don't want to hurt feelings or we don't want to, you know, we're afraid of the truth and we got to realize, look, Jesus walked in grace and truth. I think grace is listed first for a reason, right? (laughs) Um, But that doesn't mean that he shied away from the truth. And obviously, like, man, we read some of his conversations with Peter, like, get behind me, Satan. Like, he wasn't backing away from the hard conversations. I think Jesus uh, walked in such a grace that he was able to speak the truth. And even in potential situations where there was conflict to be had, um, his grace kind of melted uh, the hardness of yeah. that situation. And so I think when you, when you give people a pathway of like saying, Hey, this isn't a no, but it's a not yet. And here's why. And you give them valuable feedback. Here, here's why I think that's super valuable, Seth. Number one, it tells you how serious are they about this team that they would actually go and get a vocal coach, or maybe they would go and grab some lessons or is it, uh, you know what? That's a little bit too much like investment. I think I'm out, you know? So it it also gives you a chance to kind of see, well, what, what is the level of devotion to, to their craft or to this, um, you know, this audition process for lack of a better word. But I think it also gives you a chance, um, not just to see where they're at, but kind of to lay out like, Hey, you know, we do have a standard excellence. Uh, you know, I know that word gets tossed around and it probably means a bunch of different things to a bunch of different people, but, but really here's what it means for us in our context. And you can lay that out. Um, I think that's so key, man. And, and I'm listening to all of this, uh, truth be told, we've got auditions for our church coming up October 6th. And so <laughs> I'm kind of like, you know, I'm taking notes here on my, on my, uh, MacBook here, but, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. uh, man, I mean, when it comes to what, okay. So, so let's say, you know, you've got this pathway and for, we, we've kind of listened here about like, okay, maybe it's a pause or it's, it's a stop. What does it look like for those that are like, okay, you know, we saw the video. Uh, we want to invite you in for, was it phase two or what does that look like yeah. as you continue on that journey with somebody? So the next step would be step three. So uh, here's another thing to keep in mind. I'm always bringing in another staff member or another key worship volunteer in with me. If you're not bringing That's someone, good. yeah, if you're not bringing someone in with you in the process, then what are you doing? It's all resting on your shoulders. Mm. I do this. I do this for a couple of reasons. For discipleship purposes, I'm discipling somebody else. Number two, I'm also sharing my ethos. I'm sharing kind of the culture of how we're trying to communicate and build relationship along the way with people. And then also, it protects me. I'm not the one 
That's making so all the shots. I'm not the emperor on the throne. This is a joint decision. We've submitted ourselves to a pathway and a process, so to speak, in other words. Um, so it's not just one person making the call. So now, um, if someone has potential, has skills, then what we'll do is we'll invite them into step three. Now, step three is my favorite part. It's very relational. <laughs> like you couldn't tell relationship was important. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's the, hey, let's sit down. Let's have a meal with you or let's have coffee with you. Let's invest a majority of our time together getting to know you. And the reason why this is important for me is because when we have the, the connect, I'm not, only, I'm not only hearing their story, I'm also sharing my story. I'm, I'm mm. being vulnerable with them. And, and Curtis, I have found that when you get vulnerable with somebody that is, you know, quote unquote, in a job interviews for a worship team, that, mm-hmm. that breaks down some barriers. They can be real with you and mm. they buy into you as a leader. And so that relationship investment is so key. And the other thing I try to do in, in that conversation is I also try to lay out what our purpose statement is for New Life Worship. See, it's really important for me that they understand what they're getting into. And, mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm always leaving it at the end when, when we've both discussed our stories, we shared stories, and we talked about you know, what the future holds, and, and I've shared already the purpose statement. I always leave it back in their court, and I say, I would love for you just to take the next couple of days to pray or pray with your spouse and see, does this line up with our with our, our values? Do, do I line up with mm. this worship team values and this purpose? Wow. And, and then from there, from there, if, if I don't get a check in my spirit or if there's no red flags or truthfully, if nothing comes back on the, on the, um, what you call it, the Corey form, <laughs> <laughs> right? If, if nothing is like kind of hindering in that, we'll then move to the last step of the audition pathway. Um, for vocalists, we don't really have a last step. Like after we've heard a vocalist, we can pretty much count on mm-hmm. what what we've what we've brought them, what we've asked them to do on video. But with musicians, it's really important for us to do a live audition with them because I need to know. Like I only got room for one bass player on the stage, so I got to know if this person can play or not. So right. I will set up the live audition like it's an actual service. I'll notify mm. them five days in advance what mm-hmm. the set list is. And so they'll have that time, just like any other worship team member would, to practice the parts, to ask questions to either me or the music director that's going to help me with the live audition. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll set, I'll, I'll communicate all the expectations in advance. So it's really on them. So then we'll have the live audition. And again, I'll bring in some more staff members or more key volunteers, again, for accountability purposes, like it's not all on me. But also, here's another thing that I've found um, over like the last year of me doing this. We also get a chance to to give feedback right after the audition. It doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. Curtis, if they were 100% flawless. We will find something. Find something, yeah. We will find something to say, you know what, we love this, we love this, we love this. But we noticed this was a little bit out of tune. Or when we try to spontaneously flow at the end of this song, mm. which we'll throw them a curveball. Yes, we will, because that's mm-hmm. that's our culture, too. We're going to sometimes we, we believe in the prophetic. We believe in flowing. So sometimes we'll go there. So so we'll find something to say, you know, we, we noticed this. We would love for you to work on this. We noticed you didn't quite hit this. 
And I say these things because I want to see how they take criticism. How they respond, exactly. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good, man. You know, what's interesting is that, I mean, we weren't even going to talk about auditions, but I feel like this has been like a one-on-one in auditioning process because (laughs) it's just so... I find the audition process from church to church. And as I've talked to many worship leaders, like what their, what their, I guess, pathway would look like. It's so different based on need. It's, it's usually based on need and it's not necessarily based on, you know, uh, vision or character. And that's kind of what I'm hearing from you is like, you know, I want to lay this out. Here's, here's the ask. Here's what we're, we're, I mean, you know, I think count yeah. the cost. That's got to be a part of this because, you know, some people are like, oh, I just want to get up there and utilize my gifts. Okay, that's a very tiny fraction of the right. all-encompassing meaning of what it means to step onto a worship team. So let me ask you this. What is your ask when somebody comes? Is it like serving a particular amount of times per month? Like, Because uh, I always found, like, especially when I was in Washington, D.C. at National Community Church, it's such a transient area with people moving mm-hmm. in and out yeah. all the time. And honestly, same in, in my time in Nashville. I mean, it was very, uh, you know, people would be there maybe for a year and if things didn't work out, they'd peace out. So you'd have some people that were lifers in Nashville yeah. and some people come and go, but what does that look like for you? What does the commitment look like? Um, and then post like becoming a worship team member, what does that relational culture look like as you continue to foster discipleship among the worship team? Well, truth be told, COVID changed a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't imagine. Wow. So every church, every every uh, worship leader or worship pastor or anybody involved in worship ministry listening to this podcast knows exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, honestly, we still haven't gotten back to consistent rehearsals in, in most of our congregations. And mm. it's something that we're aiming for. It's something that we're gearing back towards. So I think the community piece has been lacking for some time. That doesn't mean that community hasn't been happening on a micro level, but I think on a macro level, like we've been missing that and all of us have been feeling that. So I wouldn't be surprised if sometime next year we really start diving into that. Hmm. But as far as the big ask, what do we ask of our volunteers? From the onset, we just tell people, listen, um, we know that you have preferences. And the majority Hmm. of people that come through Oh, I shouldn't say majority, but a lot of people that come through auditions and onboarding, they go to mom and dad's house, right? The big Uh church. And they see the stage and they say, oh, that's what I want to do. The truth is we've got eight congregations and they're all in various like stages of development. And and Uh even though we're all new life DNA, contextually, we're all just a little bit different to the environment and the location, which I Mm. absolutely love. So so there are needs all around, not just in one location. So from the onset, I will tell people, hey, as I just want you to hear it from me, our we ask our team members to be flexible. We understand that you have a life and you have a family. And actually Actually, we're not going to overschedule you, or we're, we're going to do our best not to overschedule you. Mm-hmm. And um, that is something that we've learned that we just we can't put families in that bind. So, so we'll tell people we don't want to underschedule you, we don't want to overschedule you, but we want to schedule you to what you're comfortable with, and we just ask that you be flexible in all that we're given to you. Mm, that's good. Yeah, it's so interesting. I, I kind of found that like usually twice a month is kind of like that enough to get involved and feel a part of something 
any less than that. And it's kind of like, oh, hey, it's good to see you again this month. And especially in a post-COVID world where, yeah, like many churches aren't back to that regular flow of rehearsals or even right. if they did team nights, you know, and we just implemented team nights again, uh, started last month, August um, at our church destination. Awesome. And man, I'll tell you, those are such a powerful uh, mm. opportunity to just get that community aspect of worship. And I do, I do see a lot of churches stepping back into that world and the family aspect of what we do is so key. And I think that's really where you can foster that. And, yeah, I, you know, I have to ask you about this now because I can hear it in your voice. Aaron Keys is a mutual friend. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I saw from your bio that you spent some time uh, is 10,000 fathers and mothers, right? That's right. They've, they've changed it from 10, 10 K. Well, it used to be something else, right? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But now it is 10, 10 K fam. Oh, I love that 10K fam. What, what was your greatest takeaway from that moment? It's a school of worship. I mean, maybe give like that 30 second elevator pitch of what it is for our listeners who maybe don't know what uh, 10K fam is. And then, dude, tell us what the greatest takeaway from that season in your life oh, was. Oh, man. It is a beautiful, amazing, excellent school of worship. Um, man, I could go on and on and on about it. I'm really trying mm. to choose my words. <laughs> I, I've heard I've heard you say this before on the podcast, and I totally agree. And so Aaron has said this before: worship leaders they lead songs, but worship mm-hmm. pastors lead people. And I would even go a step further to say worship pastors pastor people, because because yeah. we're going beyond just the simple leading a person. We're actually pastoring. We're going. We're doing life with that person, spiritual so formational life. Um, if I could brag on the school, man, I just I just got to say, do it. Listen, I just turned forty this year, so I've been in ministry most of my life. I'm a PK. I was raised up in a small, charismatic church, and saw the power of God. And I've been in wow. a couple of churches in various states. This is New Life is the largest church that I've been in. So I've been in like small. I've been in home. I've been in medium, and now I'm in like mega, if you want to call it that. And wow. um, I've seen it all. And when I went to this school, I was just blown away about how authentic and how, how excellent and how beautiful, like, yeah, I just, it's, mm. it's a masterclass. It's, it's really what worship leaders and worship pastors need. So um, Aaron's talked about this before. There's always, um, always been well-worn worn roads for pastors right, to, to become mm-hmm. pastors of a local church, go to seminary, you attend this, you go to this. But for worship leaders, you just, they just, uh, churches just give them a guitar and say, get up there, kid, you know, <laughs> sing a few songs. And like, this, it's, it's sad, but it's true. And um, 10,000 Fathers, 10K Fam has helped me see that worship leaders, worship pastors, and anybody on a worship team, I think we could say that a biblical definition is they're deacons, they're deacons. Wow. You're leading yeah. on the platform. You're leading. There are qualifications for leaders. You have to be someone who is tested. You have to be someone who has character. You have to be someone who can hold the truth and mystery and can communicate mm. that truth and lead and pastor people effectively. So so that's my spiel. Um, so do it, everybody listening. Do it. Um, okay. So uh, w- w- what's one of my takeaways? greatest takeaway dang dude okay and you can this is what i love about this is what i love about when you go through a season where god's done such incredible things in your life that takeaway just comes out naturally in your language and who you are and like 
I mean, Seth, you know, this is like our first extended conversation. I can hear, uh, I can hear the 10 K in your DNA as you even share like your passion for discipleship, your passion for a family culture, relational culture. Yeah. Uh, so that just kind of naturally spills out, man. But what would you say would be like that greatest takeaway that really shaped not just how you viewed music or ministry, but, but worship pastoring as you stepped out of that? Yeah. Okay. Real talk. We ready for real talk? Let's go. Okay. So in 2017, my wife had a stroke and, mm. um, she's, she's about 30 at the time. And, um, it left her paralyzed completely on one side. We almost lost her. She had to have a couple of brain surgeries. Mm. And in an instant, she was turned into basically a toddler. She didn't know how to ha- uh, eat food, swallow. She didn't know how to talk. She, she couldn't stand up. And uh, that was a season of our life where we were really tested. Wow. And, and then fast forward. Fast forward into 2018. We were living in Massachusetts at the time. And I remember praying and thinking like, I need to be around family. It's either my family in California or her family in Colorado Springs. Mm -hmm. So we moved to Colorado Springs in October of 2018 with no job, no nothing, just living with the in-laws. And that was a really, really hard season, a really Mm -hmm. tough season. It's not that my faith was bankrupt. I truly was like, God, I've seen miracles. I've prayed for people and they've been healed before. So I know you can do it, God. I'm not doubting. So our faith was strong. And we spent a good chunk of our time in Massachusetts building up our faith. But just over time, over time, not seeing the results that I was praying for and believing for, I got to tell you, it, it, it started to wear on me. And mm. it, was, it was more wearing on me emotionally than it was necessarily on my faith, per se. Mm-hmm. And um, that, was, that, was really, that was a really hard season. Well... In March of 2019, I joined staff at New Life Church. It was kind of a God opportunity and was a worship pastor on staff while taking care of my wife. And, and, and for those that, are, that might be curious, you know, we're, we're still doing therapy, occupational and physical therapy, and my wife's doing much better, but we still got some complications. It's not like it was mm-hmm. before. And um, so, so when Aaron Keyes moved... I think it was in 2021 or 2020. I apologize. I can't remember. I think it was 2020. Mm-hmm. When Aaron Keyes moved to Colorado Springs to have a partnership with New Life Church, have, have um, 10K fam partner with New Life Church, um, all of the worship staff were invited to be a part of the worship school. And I was thinking, hmm. I've, I've kind of done some of this stuff before, and I truthfully, I would like to do some more seminary some, somewhere else. But I was, uh, I was voluntold. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we know that life. Yeah. I was voluntold to do this. So I said, okay, okay. Not that I wasn't against it. It was just, okay, this is another thing on my plate. Mm-hmm. Curtis, this was the exact thing that I needed for my soul. I found community. I mm. found community in huddle groups that I just didn't have in that period of my life. Wow. Guys, guys, to this day, I still talk about. Actually, our huddle is trying to do another reunion huddle. And, mm. and, and we've already graduated, but we just love each other and we care about each other and we just want to talk. So, so, man, just the huddle times, meeting with other mm. worship leaders in various states and having them encourage you, that was impactful for my life and for my ministry wow. and, and for my heart. So I'm just going to leave it right there. There's so much more I could say, but just the huddle alone was impactful for my life. Mm. 
Well, I appreciate your vulnerability, man. And just to know what God did in that season and how he's still doing that. I mean, and I can't imagine walking through that. You know, I think it was last week that we actually talked with, with Brad and Rebecca worship leaders out in Arizona and Mm. they travel all the time. And Rebecca kind of shared her story as she's journeyed and battled through cancer over these last five years. Yeah. And, And there's something about like walking through Uh, sickness or walking through a season where you just, you know, on this side of eternity, maybe we won't have the answer, but to trust God in the midst of that and know that you don't have to do it alone. Yeah. And I think, I think that's one of the biggest things Seth, that separates the family and the body of God, the body of Christ uh, with the world is that, you know, oftentimes in the world, it's like, look within, you've got the strength, you can do it. Mm. You can, you can be all, you know, find it within. You don't need anybody. You're good (laughs) enough on your own. Whereas in the body of Christ, it's like, look, you know, we can read Paul's words. He's like, look, we need each other. These one another phrases don't work as a solo sport. Like church, the church of Christ only works with community. You have to have one another to lean on. And the body of Christ is made up of many different parts, many expressions. And that's right. And I think, I think the fact that you found, um, just such a restoration in your soul and you're, you're going through that with your church family. And I I mean, I've been out to new life several times and, Mm. um, you know, back in, I think 2014 or 2015, I I went out with my pastor at the time, Mark Batterson to, um, to destination or not, uh, desperation conference, desperation conference. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, just, I mean, you could just sense, and I, I actually, it was a a little earlier than that. 2013, I was out there for, uh, Jared Anderson did a co-write. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, uh, and I saw obviously you and Jared, uh, know each other well and, um, so I think, you know, just knowing that you're a part of something where it is like a family, uh, yeah. is so, is so huge. And I think, you know, in a world where it just feels like criticism is around every corner, especially like the skepticism towards the church and, and let's just be real. I think you and I are both part of like larger churches. Like there's this greater skeptic skepticism towards like, totally. you know, quote unquote totally. mega church right now. But you know, it's so funny because like even in a church, like our church is around 3,000, 3,500 people, even in a church like that, and you guys with eight or nine campuses, there's something that happens where it shrinks, mm-hmm. right? It, right? It shrinks from this this giant to like, no, like this is my brothers and my sisters and it's, right. it is family, it is community. And uh, man, let me ask you this kind of as we close out today and, and there's just so much gold and, and wisdom in today's podcast, two questions for you. Um, number one, what is God speaking to you right now about our current, uh, worship culture, if you were to call it that, um, Mm. and then, and then maybe in tandem with that, you know, one of the things I love asking worship leaders is, is what, what does it mean to you uh, to be spirit led in worship? Um, so let me, let me hand those two, let me put those two balls on a tee and see, hand you a bat and say, let's go, man. (laughs) Yeah. Two, two really short, simple questions. Right, right, right. right. Short and sweet, right? No, dude, you've got all the time in the world, man. That's, that's awesome. Um, okay, let's start with the first one. What mm. am I sensing about the worship culture? Yeah, uh, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, man? Yeah. Oh, dude, okay. Well, right off the bat, so this is what speaks to me. Um, I mentioned earlier that I'm, I'm 40. I turned 40 in July, and I felt like there was a shift in, in my heart, in my life. I, I felt like mm. I was entering into what Richard War talks about, the second half of life. <laughs> and um, for, man, I look back at my life in my, my 20s, you know, being at, being at Berkeley, knowing all these fantastic musicians, 
and doing tours and all that fun stuff in my 20s, um, like I was chasing after significance. Yes, I love the Lord. Yes, mm. I was called by the Lord and anointed. But inside of me, I think there was this unholy chase after significance. Uh, don't mm. get me wrong. Like the Lord, like if he's put something on your heart, pursue it. But I just, I saw what was in the, I saw what was on YouTube. Um, I don't know if we had too much social media at that, at that time when I was 20. But like mm. whatever was popular, I was chasing after that, thinking that, well, if we just have enough people, we will be significant. And the Lord just has been doing a work in my life for a long time, and he just really opened up my eyes to say, hey, it's time to pursue faithfulness over significance. Mm. Faithfulness over significance. I found myself in many situations just saying, Lord, I just want to be faithful. Opportunities wow. come my way, or I see something on the gram, or I'll see something on Facebook of like, this is what worship culture should be like. I'll just look at that, and I'll see, be, I'll see past it now, and I'll say, Lord, mm. I just want to be faithful. And I'm not throwing shade on anybody. I mean, our church and our worship team, we're, we are in, quote unquote, the worship industry, right? Like we're, we're producing mm-hmm. songs and, and records and all that stuff. So we're in it. So I'm not knocking it. But what I guess what I am knocking is for all the young worship leaders that are listening right now, for all those that are struggling with your worship team, maybe you have a small worship team, um, don't look at what's the latest and hippest thing and just say, I'm going to chase and pursue that. Like mm. legit, just just dedicate yourself to being faithful and watch what the Lord will do. He knows exactly what to give you. So that would be my encouragement. And that's kind of what the Lord's been speaking to me, faithfulness over mm. significance. So good, man. Um, and then the second thing that you said, oh, what does it mean to be spirit-led in worship? Is that what you said? Yeah, because I can pick up from, you know, just some of the in-betweens and reading in between the lines, even in our, our conversation here. I mean, we kind of both come from a, a background. I mean, I'm a PK as well, kind of raised in a more charismatic setting, Pentecostal and spirit-filled. Yeah. And um, what does it mean? I mean, you know, and you were sharing, kind of been in a bunch of different church contexts. You've uh, gone through some hardship in life, and, and here you are in the season of um, worship pastoring at New Life. What, what does it mean to be spirit led, um, in, in your worship, maybe not just on stage, but just in, in life in general, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Spirit led worship is, uh, let's, we could also say spirit led prayer. We could also say spirit led conversations, spirit led Mm. Bible study, spirit led so forth and so forth. What's, what's the, the key common denominator there? It's, it's being led by the spirit, which it's not so much about being spontaneous. That's how I grew up. We were spirit-led yep. when when we were spontaneous. And don't get me wrong, <laughs> there is a fierce, spontaneous nature, a wildness of the Holy Spirit that cannot be tamed. I love that. But I also mm. think on the other side of the coin, there is this contemplative, this methodical, this logical aspect of the Holy Spirit who will prepare you, who, who as Jesus told his disciples, he said, um, the Lord will bring back or the Holy Spirit will bring back to your remembrance those things which I have said. There's a logical order also mm-hmm. to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So I think to have one side without the other is a counterfeit. Wow. So what does it mean to be Spirit-led? It means to just be walking in lock and step with what the Spirit of God is saying in the moment. If He's telling you to, like as far as me being a worship pastor, um, conversations, when I'm having you know, meetings with people over coffee or, or, 
or I'm in a hospital room talking with somebody, those conversations, mm-hmm. I pray and I ask, I ask God that I would have spirit-led conversations. I pray an ancient prayer that, that has been prayed for a while. It's, it's very simple. Come, Holy Spirit. Mm. Come, Holy Spirit. What are we saying? Are we, are we acknowledging that he's not there? No. Actually, what I'm saying, come, Holy Spirit, it's actually like saying, I welcome you, Holy Spirit, right mm-hmm. now. I partner with what you want to say, what you want to do. So being spirit-led in worship is no different than being spirit-led in conversation or spirit-led prayer. I'm having a dialogue with the Holy Spirit and asking what he wants to do and then responding to what he has said. Wow. Come Holy Spirit. I love that. Seth, dude, I feel like I just drank from a fire hose, man. Like (laughs) so good. So good. And, um, man, tell people where they can find you these days, uh, whether it's connected online or just kind of what you're up to these days, man. Yeah. I'm really like a social hermit these days. (laughs) I'm, I'm like post occasionally, but if you want to check out some of the blogs that I've been writing, you can go to my website, sethputnam.net. Love it. We're going to put that on the show notes. Seth, such a joy to chat with you, man. And uh, dude, we're praying for you, praying with you. And I can't wait, can't wait for that next conversation, brother. Awesome. Thanks, Curtis. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks. To learn more and to find resources for worship leaders and teams, you can visit curtisparks.com.